Welcome, Welcome to Show Us Your Bits. I'm Alice Rivers Cripps, the founder and creative director of Posh Totti Designs. We are the original hand stamp jewellery company. I've been doing it since 2004. And I'm Josie Lloyd, a friend of Alice's, and I'm an author based in Brighton. And together we came up with the idea of a podcast about the stories behind the jewellery that people wear, because we're always fascinated by the shiny bits, aren't we? We are so fascinated. And also there are so many tales. Each week we'll be talking to each other with some anecdotes about our lives and we'll be introducing a special guest. We've got some great guests lined up for you. For oh, you. so many amazing guests. It's and very finding, exciting. And delving into their jewellery boxes and finding out the stories behind the keepsakes that they really love. Behind their bling. Let's get on with the show. So Josie, how are you doing? Well, I'm very excited to be in a new room. I mean, usually we record in the basement. In a dark, um, damp basement. But we're in your beautiful <laughs> new room um, in your house. What do you call this? You've got a name for this room. So it isn't Farrah and Ball setting plaster. It is just plaster. plaster. <laughs> but it is very done, and I have to say. With it, I am going to do the wood in a sage green colour. Um, but I decided that I really like the colour of setting plaster, not the paint colour, but the real setting plaster, because it's kind of ombre in places and it kind of changes and it's kind of got a sheen to it and it's gorgeous. And it, my mum thinks it looks like I haven't fully decorated, but I really love it. So we're going to put some kind of like sealant on the yeah, walls. Yeah, put some plus, leave it. Some yeah. nail varnish. So I've put the top things up. <laughs> I've made it mine. It's and lovely. now, I, you know, and that's quite chilled. I feel it's like it's a nice. really chilled colour. It's it really very makes nice. you feel very zen. I've got a little bit of setting plaster in my bedroom, which I... Is it real setting plaster or is it? No, it's real setting plaster, the colour from Farrow and Ball. I'm useless at paint colours. But I have to say, this week is a big week because we're back in the sitting room and dining room after we've had a painter in for quite a long time and in our house when we first moved into our house 17 years ago we've actually had our walls painted i've had it, had them painted lick 06 from the lick, lick 06, 06 with a hint is, of pink with a hint of pink and i've done um oval room blue along the skirting so it looks very yeah. similar so I, the farrable oval room blue is one of my favorite colors and it goes everywhere it's in the kids rooms it's everywhere it's, it's like lovely. a beautiful color but it's i have to say our, so our house is looking a little less shabby it's actually six years ago since shabby our book came out, came out. do you remember when hugo was a thing and there was a big craze yeah. for Hugo and all the things. Well, we did... Wait, when you couldn't... No one knew how to pronounce it. It's like Higgy, Hugo. Yeah. So we did a kind of parody book called Shabby, The Stress-Free Art of British Living, which was all... It was a piss take of Hugo. And it was about... It was very earnest talking about our shabby house. So it, it, the fat copy goes, you know shabby when you see it. It's that welcoming pair of pants on the radiator in the hall. It's that... <laughs> Half moldy but perfectly gin and tonic worthy lemon sitting in the fruit bowl. And it was all about, and we did it in a very earnest style. So, for example, there was a thing about um the correct etiquette for the shoe um for the for the coat rack. So the correct etiquette is to put loads of really old coats and bike helmets on the hooks just in front of the door. And when you come in, you have to throw the coat at the hook so it falls on the floor and that is the correct pathetic this so, is our world i am going to take a picture and post I it up will, because will, this is actually our world I like sadly you, that we are we are shaggy shaggy shabby no <laughs> you maybe <laughs> but we were those shabby with the things not shabby chic just shabby and my friend ruth and i had a sunday lunch and she went oh i'm going to photograph everything that's shabby in this house 
she got really over enthusiastic and we went to the publishers in their great big enormous tower in uh in London by the by the Blackfriars and in the boardroom this enormous swanky boardroom was pictures blown up to this size of this table like huge like triple a1 pictures of the back of my toilet (laughs) oh no that's not shabby that's just scuzzy that's just really (laughs) no 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 no. this is just really terrible it's very embarrassing uh so (laughs) did it go down well I bet it was a really yeah no it really was and I'm perfect Christmas perfect we'll put put a picture of it up on the Instagram but uh, I bet you can still get it yeah, oh, yeah, 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 no, it's been available. Yeah. Shabby, yeah. the stress we are of British living, I think it's called. I can't remember what the, the tagline is, but anyway, I will, I will give you, um, we'll put a copy up. But it was very funny, That's very amazing. fun. So, so shabby, but somebody who has got very bold paint colours in her beautiful and home, not the slightest bit of shabby, <laughs> and not the slightest bit of shabby. Moving swiftly on to somebody whose apartment I just want to go and live in because it looks amazing. Is our next guest the very fabulous Melanie Cantor? And I'm gonna. We're not going to say too much. Let's just bring her on because she will introduce the wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And we'll be sharing lots of pictures of her because she's also a little bit of a style icon. Isn't she? I want to be like her. Absolutely. Anyway, without further ado, let's bring her on. So, Melanie Cantor, welcome to Show Us Your Bits. Thank you. Lovely to be here with my bits. With your bits. Um, so, Melanie, we met. We haven't actually met in no. real life. I mean, you are just this wonderful person that I see on the screen, and I single white female you because I think you're marvellous. Um, and in, in lockdown, you really kept me going because I was sitting in my tracksuit bottoms and horrible grubby T-shirts, and there were you every day posting a picture of you in one of your amazing dresses because you have got quite a significantly fabulous wardrobe um and you posted every day a few flouncing around in a dress which really cheered me up and then I realized that you were an author and um I got a hold of your book which is which I am reading at the moment um and I also discovered you recently and I've been literally stalking you too on Instagram oh bless you when you do your reading, when you start reading, it's amazing. So I got really into this after you read the first chapter. Oh, I'm so um, pleased you said that. Okay, cool. Yeah. What you've been up to and where you've got to this point, because you've had a very illustrious career and you've done many things. So can talk us through it. Okay. So I landed <laughs> with Peter Thompson, who's a theatre publicist and um, and also looked after music. So we did... All my the first musical that I looked after was Annie. When I say looked after, the first musical I worked on was Annie. So the first first night I went to was Annie at the Victoria Palace, and Amazing. I my literally my skin was kind of tingling with excitement. I thought I cannot believe I've got this job. This ama- it was incredible. And Peter, there was only Peter and me, him in his office, me in mine, and I would go Peter Thompson Associates. Uh, but Peter was the best teacher. He was my mentor. So five years later, I got headhunted to become the press officer at TVAM for the launch of TVAM, Breakfast TV. So did that, hated it, but I did it. And it was quite, you know, I looked after the famous five. I did all that. I was the only press officer. So I was doing all the nightmarish stuff that there was. We didn't have a clue what programmes were going out, and I had to fill out stuff for the TV Times. It was ridiculous. I was making programmes up. But anyway, <laughs> so that then said, because I hated that so much, I decided I have to go. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I was like 
25, something like that. And I just thought, I have to go. I can't do this anymore. Uh, I'm leaving. And I was so lucky because Michael Parkinson's agent, who's also Angela Rippon's agent, heard I was leaving and decided he wanted me to come and be a free and freelance for IMG, who and their broadcast division, which was Michael Parkinson, Angela Rippon, Selena Scott, you know. Wow. I know. It was amazing. It was. So I did that. They, um, I didn't have a home at the time. I was in between houses and living with my parents-in-law. So I went into IMG's office and, but they allowed me to take on other clients. So I looked after Adam Ant and I looked, you know, I was just freelancing wherever I could. I did a show. It was absolutely great until I got pregnant and IMG decided because when I said I'm going to be working from home now, which was always the intention, they said, no, you won't. We don't want you anymore. <laughs> so oh, there no. I was, first baby, just told like, uh, you know, literally in those days. I mean, all, still with freelancers, I think they can just say tally-ho. And um, so I thought, oh, God. And I just picked up the phone to Michael Aspel's agent and said, this is what I do. Do you want me? And he said, yes. So... Oh. That moved on. So it was Mike Aspel. I don't know if you remember Mike Smith, Sarah Kennedy. Again, I knew I did it for very little money. I didn't care. I knew that I needed to have people that the press would want to talk to me about because I needed the contacts. Anyway, so that was my life being a publicist until I got introduced to Ulrika Johnson. And the journalist that introduced us said, she doesn't just want a publicist. She wants someone to do the whole lot. She wants an agent. And television was changing at the time. The franchises were changing over. And I thought, well, I can get to know new people as easy as anybody else. You know, I don't know how it works to be an agent. I mean, um, but let's give it a go. And if Ulrika and I get on and she wants to take the risk, I'm willing to take the risk. And reader, she was. Listener, listener, (laughs) she was. (laughs) So we, I looked after, I moved over to becoming an agent and started looking after Ulrika and then that sort of drew other people in and I looked after Melinda Messenger and various other people you may may not have heard of um and I looked after Ulrika for 17 years so that gives you an idea yeah, of so what the I was involved with yeah so, we uh, yeah, it was a lot. yeah wow and was yeah. she at the beginning of her career at that point yeah was she, she was when I girl? when I started looking after her, she was a weather presenter wow yeah so literally just so early on um and it was I loved it I loved the ride even the you know the highs and the lows taught me so much and taught me my own strengths because my god did you need to be strong with journalists and one thing or another getting through some of those stories but anyway at the end of the 17 years I'd really I wasn't enjoying it anymore yeah I just felt I was not doing the job that I loved and therefore, I couldn't be doing the best job because I think that's how it works. And I was 50 and I decided I want to do my thing. I want to look, you know, it's enough of everybody else's ego. I want to kind of stroke my own ego. Um, not that I have a big one. But anyway, <laughs> I don't really. I, I, I learned egos don't do you any favors. Anyway, um, so I decided to give up and write. And everybody said to me, because, you know, I was kind of known in the media. I was known in the media. And they went, oh, my God, you can write crap and you'll be published. So I did write crap. 
<laughs> and I wasn't published, strangely. No, I wrote every in the agent that took me on in that first instance said to me, nobody, I wanted to write a love story, you know. They went, nobody wants a love story from you. They want a, a story about celebrities. So I wrote something called Fabulous Monsters, which for me kind of sums it up, really. So I carried on. I, I So the next book I wrote was called Mr. and Mrs. Saturday Night. I was a friend of mine who's Gordon Wise, who works at Curtis Brown, introduced me to Felicity Blunt and Sheila Crowley. And they read it and they said, look, you know, you can write, but nobody wants books about celebrities. It's like, okay. <laughs> so they, want, they said, they, they want books about rich people. So then I went away and I wrote a book about rich people, you know, that got rejected. But so then a friend of mine said, look, you need to work with an editor. You need to understand why you're getting rejected. And so we were working on trying to correct this manuscript. And I just looked at it and I thought, it's never going to work. Why are we trying so hard? To I said, and I had had an experience which was with an ex-boyfriend, sort of about this time, it had it, been about, we, we'd kind of ended our relationship about a year ago. And when the relationship ended, and it ended amicably, until I started to discover what was actually going underneath going on underneath all that kind. anyway I really he he reached out to me for a particular reason and I thought well yes maybe we should meet maybe we should just kind of sort, sort things out and then I said to my friend Rebecca do you know what I don't want to see him I don't want to see that bloody smug face I won't I mean, I mean the thing was actually <laughs> in brief five years we were together he started off as a, a kind of really niche lawyer in a very good kind of you know good niche and then when we met he gave it all up to become a reiki healer that's fairly typical of my luck but anyway but it was fine until it you know it was a bit boring five years of him just doing reiki on himself and I did say to him why can't you be a reiki healer and a lawyer no no I'm a spiritual man and I think you need to know that to know why this had so much impact on me. Anyway, the spiritual man, eight weeks after we um, ended our relationship, I knew he told me he was, he was having to go out to work, you know. He got this amazing job at Netflix. I mean, yeah. where do I begin? Anyway, where do I end? And he phoned me to say, I got the job. Oh, well done. That's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And I'm being paid gazillions a year oh that's amazing and I just wanted to thank you for your help and support along the way oh thank you bye bye not like I know things aren't happening between us now but let me take you out for dinner to thank you no bye anyway eventually when he and so I ignored his bloody Christmas cards because I thought I'm sorry but he reached out to me in the March because he knew it was a bad time it was when the anniversary of my dad's death and I thought okay so we get back to the bit about, but I don't want to see him. So Beck says, well, don't see him. And I said, but I want him to know what I think. And so she said, why don't you write him a letter? So I did. And it was exactly, it had exactly the impact that I wanted it to, that he knew what I knew and how I felt and la, la, la. So... A year later, when I'm thinking about a book, I said to this editor, what do you think if I wrote a book about someone who's given three months to live? 
And instead of taking a trip of a lifetime, she decides to write to everyone who's ever pissed her off and tell them what she really thinks. And she said, Melanie, I can hear myself pitching it now. Do it. Yeah. Well, of course, doing it is not as easy as you think <laughs> doing it is. But <laughs> let's be honest, here we are. I, my, I get the agent, Felicity Blunt, and we get the deal, which was amazing. Amazing. After 10 years, nine, 10 years of being in the wilderness, literally, it felt like all that tenacity had paid off. Can I just ask, though, did you actually, how did he respond to the letter? Did you send it? I sent it. God, I sent it. Absolutely. No, he was really, it's funny how you forget these things. He responded, I am so sorry, la, la, la. Please, let's meet. And I said, okay, fine. And then, like, a day before we were meant to meet, he said, I just want you to know that I'm with someone and I'm going to put it up on Facebook and I hope you, oh, my God, what are you, 12? (laughs) And so I just thought, yeah, you put it up on Facebook and I don't need to see you. It's fine. And yeah. actually, it was I'm not going to say I was over it. I wasn't. It was painful for a long time. But you do get over it. You do get over it. And that's the point. I think, you know, we have to go through pain sometimes. But my God, thank you, him. Yeah. That was the inspiration for the, for the <laughs> manuscript that got me there. All the best inspiration comes from real life, though, doesn't it? I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's all about yeah. what's... Yeah. I've always, or I've always taken a nugget of something that's happened in real life to, mm. make, to write one of my books. Um, and you always get sort of like something that's real that you hang it on, which is really exciting. So you're now a prolific author and you've just written another book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the way. Prolific, prolific manuscript writer. <laughs> so that's a published author, yeah. nonetheless. And you've published got another author, book on the way. Yeah. What's yeah. the other book? What's the next book? The next book is called The Fuck It List. Now, <laughs> if I'm honest, I love that title, not my title. Um, I come up with boring titles. So my title, just to give you an idea of what it's about, was Solo. And then it became Daisy became Solo. But then they decided it was punchier than that title kind of gave you an idea. And The Fuck It List was born. And it's about a woman who meets a guy when she's 34 he yeah he's building up his interior his hotel empire she's doing the interior design and life kind of you know life and ambition get in the way of what she's always wanted which is a baby but he sells off the empire which is when we meet them and they're about to start a family and he's throwing her a 40th birthday party in one of the hotels and she discovers him in the bushes with his publicist, of course. Um, And so that blows the whole relationship apart. And she decides she wants to have a baby on her own. She's 40. She's not going to wait to meet someone. She's not going to wait to meet someone who also wants a family, who might also let her, you know, there are so many. So she decides to do it on her own. And that came to me from nowhere, I have to tell you. I do not know how that even landed in my head, but it did. And I'm so glad it did because I have loved every minute, good and bad, of writing it. It's been such an experience, you know, enveloping yourself, you know, literally digging into your characters and getting to know your characters for me is the most glorious experience and working out, you know, the many ways they could react to different things, but finally finding hopefully the right way, um, which 
you know, I'm hoping will be a page turner. I think it's a page turner. Oh, I'm sure it will. We have invited you along to show us your bits, to um, show us some of your bits. And you have yes. wonderful stories about your incredible jewellery. You always wear very bold jewellery and you have lots of stuff. But what have you bought to show us today? Okay, so I have bought, well, I have my fuck it earrings. <laughs> I don't know why I've got these fuck it earrings. Um, and that's how I feel really about stuff, particularly, you know, People have their bucket list. Why wait? Yeah. The point of the bucket list is do it now. Whatever you you fear, but you want to do, do it. You know, what What can be lost, really? Yeah, yeah. My favourite line has um, always been, don't sweat the small stuff. And I feel like that's a bit the same. It's kind of just just go on and do it and don't don't worry about it. Like it's yeah. Work. Exactly. Do it, do it, do it. What? And if you fail, and trust me, I failed so much along the way, you learn from failure. It's what I say to my kids. You know, failure is a stepping stone towards success. And I really and feel... I've just been, my husband has just handed in his edit. We we had a day yesterday, for the first time ever, we coordinated both handing a book in at the same time. But he has rewritten this book four times, and he's never given up on it. And actually... I said to him, he said, the fa-, he said, oh, I said, you know, what if I fail? And I said, it's not the failure. It's not being rejected. The failure is not getting up again. And not exactly. Absolutely. Thing. And that's that's what's so wonderful about it, that he's just got up and done it again and, and not taken no for an answer, very much like you. So uh, it also gives a facet, you know, it makes us more interesting. It, you know, it, it adds that facet to us. I mean, I think, you know, we all want to be multifaceted. We all want to be like that diamond that's got lots of different edges and corners. And, you know, and you've got to you've got to have failures in yeah. order to do that. If yeah. everything runs smoothly, you don't really have to experience life. So yeah and then to be honest I kind of I always say I had the most amazing childhood I really did have incredible I can't say anything about my childhood which often is the source of novels you know the where people refer to or books any sort of book you know people refer to their terrible damaged childhood I didn't have one and I always <laughs> say that I needed to grow up and fuck up my own life in yeah. order to get those facets, in order to fail, in order to grow, in order to dis- find out who I was without being in this kind of bubble, which my childhood was a bubble. And I kind of burst through that bubble and found myself. And I think that's really important. I think that's really important for parents to allow their children. My parents just wanted me to be protected for the whole of my life and just stay in a safe environment and marry a safe man. And I did. And, you know, all those safe, safe, safe things. But I'm not a safe player. They Mm -hmm. had to respect that I'm a risk taker. And I had to burst out of that marriage, break through and become the risk taker that I am. And that's why I feel with my kids, I've just let them, who are you? You know who you are, or you find out who you are, and you'll find out, I don't need to tell you, you know, I know who you are, you know, you have to find it out. I mean, I think I know who you are, but I don't. We all have to discover ourselves. And it's important that, yes, there's a lot of me in them, that yes, there's a lot of their father in them, but there's a lot of them in them. So with my mum, and as I said, obviously I was really close to my parents, and... My mum was, we sort of, instead of waiting until she died or my father died to give me the thing, you know, stuff, 
if I liked a ring, I was the only daughter. So this was a particular ring. I don't know if you can see it. Very but anyway. chunky, very chunky gold you might have to describe it to us. OK, so it's a, a very deep gold band with tiny rubies in it. And the rubies have stars etched around them. And it goes on my little finger. It went on her that she had the slimmest, most beautiful hands. She said that was the only slim part of her body. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, and my father had it made for her. So yeah. that, to me, so she gave it to me. I'd always admired it since a little girl. And so she gave it to me. And so it's been really special to me. I don't wear it all the time. Occasionally, you know, I put it away and then you discover it again and you enjoy wearing it again. And I, I have my father's signet ring, which I did wear all the time because he was so special to me. I I wore it so too often that in the end, the CMC of his initials, my mother made it for him. So it was CMC. He hated his name. His name was Cecil Montague Cantor. I think that's a fabulous name. I love the Montague. Name. Yeah, the Montague. I mean, he uh, it was just like he hated it. And during the war, because his name was Cantor, they nicknamed people who were Cantor Eddie Cantor because of the Hollywood film star. So he became Eddie. And my mother always knew him as Eddie, but his family always knew him as Cecil. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, but the CMC, there was a CMC with a star over the M. And it came off. I mean, it literally separated off the ring. So I've got it set aside now to have it repaired. I could put super glue on, but I thought that would ruin the whole look. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, yeah. having, I'm going to eventually have it repaired professionally. But I love that ring. And my dad was an artist and he wooed my mother with cards that he made for her saying, be my Sunday girl too, because she would see him on a Saturday and he put he sent these cards, little cards, big cards, you know, wooing her, just so in love with her. It was so beautiful. And then when they got married, he made cards every anniversary and every birthday. He never bought a card. He always made a card for me too. But, you know, and this was a collection that I said to my mum after dad had died. I said, the only thing I want really, really, really is uh, uh, those cards I just want those those cards and so I have those cards and they are stunning and what of your grandparents you bought something along with your grandparents yes I did so my grand so there is a beautiful story about my grandparents because a well, beautiful sad story you know as is often the case but my grandmother was got mul multiple sclerosis when she was well when my mom pretty much when my mother was about four and then when my mother was eight, my grandma was 30. She was paralyzed from the waist down. So she was in um, a wheelchair, basically, for the rest of her life. And if you can imagine, so my grandfather was 32 when his wife was paralyzed. And inevitably, he had a, an affair, only a, a long-term affair with somebody, which upset my mother terribly, right? Mm. But... My grandmother always said, and my mother would re relay this back to me. My grandmother, she, she always used to say, your grandmother was amazing. My grandmother would say, but he comes home. That's what matters. He comes home. So really, and I adored my grandfather. I knew he was a scoundrel, not just for that, because he was a gambler and he'd lose money and 
ask people for money and be lonely. He had to ask my parents for a loan to pay for her, their wedding. It was just like that. So anyway, segue into these candlesticks. <laughs> so in those days, don't know when that would those days would have been, but a long time ago, you bought silver candlesticks by weight. And so my grandfather bought these candlesticks and they were weighted down with stones. Oh, wow. Oh, stones wow. in the base. And over time, obviously, these stones were... My mother said, only you could fall for that. <laughs> yeah, just so that to me, you know, so, and I have the candlesticks. So I love that story. I love people. And actually, are they quite light? Story. Yeah. Are they incredibly light now? Sorry, yes. Oh, they've lost the stones. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, and they're a bit wonky too, but they they re always remind me of my grandpa. So that's, that's, that's really cool. And my grandma, you know. Okay. Obviously. But you so, love things that are bold, don't you, Manny? So you are, you are very bold in your fashion choices. And this... Yes. A series a of uh, uh, this series of our podcast, we're really concentrating on being bold and what it means to be bold. You have got the most fantastic Instagram feed called uh, Punk Pensioner, which I have discovered recently, in which you put your wonderful outfits up. up. Um, what's you your are so stylish, though? Honestly, thank it's you. Incredible. Thank Absolutely. you. So I love it. Yeah. Talk us about how you you style yourself and and about being bold and what that means to you. Okay. I think the things you either, you either love fashion or you're not interested or you don't necessarily. But anyway, I've always loved fashion. My mother was always incredibly well put together in a kind of groomed way. And even though I guess I'm kind of groomed, I'm much more out there. Well, you can be much more out there now. And um, and I'm I genuinely am because, again, because of being single, I'm allowed to be me. I, I don't I can't be judged by anyone but me and so I wear what appeals to me and um I can be quite out there even when so now you know most of the time I live in Dorset and I think other dog walkers think I'm nuts with what I'm wearing because <laughs> I don't really wear dog walking clothes <laughs> I just don't have them darling but um so I just love beautiful clothes and the thing is I buy secondhand I, I couldn't afford half of the stuff that I have buying it from new so there are various sites that I use which is vestiaire and vintage um and yeah between the two of them and then I supplement them with things from H&M or Zara so first of all going back to Covid we weren't going out and I thought I have all this stuff in my wardrobe and I needed to I couldn't just get up and stay in pajamas or whatever I thought I need to get myself together and actually wear lovely clothes put on my makeup make myself feel good at a time when none of us were feeling good and I thought well you know I'll do that and I I I was just playing around with Instagram. I didn't really know what, how Instagram worked terribly well. I'm still not very good with those films. But anyway, I so I started to put up my, what I was wearing. I think I called it the uplift. Anyway, whatever it was, trying to uplift people. And obviously it worked on New Jersey, which was yeah, great. Definitely. That, I loved that, it. Was, that was the purpose. And so people would watch. And I did get such a great response from it. 
that I continued, but it's quite a commitment. And in the end, <laughs> once you commit, it, you commit. <laughs> I, oh my God. So I, I didn't do it, you know, for very long, but I did it for long enough. And um, and then more recently, again, this year, I had the bucket list was there, done. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do with myself? I need to occupy myself. You know, I wasn't ready to write the next one. And and so I started posting my clothes again. And then I started referring back to death, life, and other happy endings and sort of drawing that into stuff. Um, but again, it's such a commitment. Yeah. So I kind of dropped that for a while. But you know, I dip in from time to time. But punk pensioner is just photos. Yeah. So it's just a question of I have my friend Bathy at Patio, and when he comes to stay with me or comes to London, you know, for an evening, uh, we kind of do a whole set of photos together. And he's great. I feel really comfortable because for me, I'm posing and showing off, but I don't care because I'm not me. I'm punk pensioner. I'm sort of in a persona because, yeah. and so therefore that allows me to do those silly head, you know. Arrogant, smug, um, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I really do love it. And again, it's something, It's I don't push it up. I don't do it terribly regularly, but I like I like doing that kind of thing. Um, but yes, yeah, so, and I get so many comments on them. And also talking about the way I dress, I mean, people literally, I don't think there's a day, and I feel a bit arrogant saying this, but it is the truth. I walk down the street and people will literally say, oh, my God, I love your style. Oh, my, you know, and there isn't a day when that doesn't happen. Mainly women. I think women are fabulous the way they're general, you know, they just have the guts to say that to someone who's just passing by. But I love the fact that, you know, it does make people kind of look and feel better. Now, I was in San Francisco with Bassie. I would dress up every day. And one day we were in this regular sort of breakfast place that we went to. And a woman was sitting there with her daughters. She was probably a bit younger. I would say she's 50s. I forget when I say punk pensioner. Of course, I am a pensioner. I'm 66. That's the point. I dress like I dress. I look like I look. And I'm 66. And you can bloody do it too. Yeah. You know, just do it. So she said to me, oh, I w my daughters are saying, why don't you dress like that? And she said, I wish I could. I said, you can. There is nothing stopping you but you. Seek out other people's style. You can look at punk pensioner. You, but you can. You know, yeah. you can see it's stuff on Instagram all the time. Yeah. And you can say, I'll try that. No, that doesn't suit me. Or I'll try that. Yes, that does suit me. I mean, you can learn style. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's, it is about trying things out and seeing what works. But I also think that you are embodying being bold. And I think that's what's so inspirational Absolutely. is that you're going out looking flamboyant in colours and you have, through your clothes, this this wonderful thing of fuck it, which yes. is why it's so Absolutely. wonderful that you've called your book that. that you yes, yes. You do, you're just like, you don't give a monkey's what anybody else thinks. And that is so liberating, especially for women and especially and for uh, women who don't look any, you know, who are of all ages, but particularly right. older women who are just like going, oh, I don't want to fade into the background. No, you are going be bold and exactly. be Exactly, exactly. You do not have to disappear. Because no, that absolutely. was the whole thing, wasn't it? You go through the menopause and you disappear. Well, we don't have to anymore. The options are out there. We just need to grab them. And I think my hair is fuck it as well. It's grey. 
it's long and uh, yeah it is a fuck it thing so melanie could you tell our listeners where they can find you you can find my book you can pre-order now on amazon follow me on at melanie Cantor, and i'll give updates on what's going on and follow me on at punk pensioner if you want to see my signature style oh thank you so much it's been an absolute joy having really you on show us your bits uh thank you so much for you doing are such today. an inspiration yeah ah uh, thank you and it's been an absolute joy being with you on show us your bits i've really really loved it you made oh. me think sometimes you need, you need to do something like this to realize who you know how other people see you because yeah, you don't see you yourself are. always anything oh okay fine great it's it's so thank you yes thank you both very very much She was amazing. She honestly, she was really inspirational and um, just makes you realise that you can do anything. I mean, like she's... She makes me really want to go out and just go vintage shopping and get something flamboyant. I want those glasses. I've got to say, Celine on Vestiaire, I am definitely up for having I definitely think you should go. But um, what a wonderful guest. My glasses look really small. (laughs) Yeah, they do, don't they? Uh, Melanie Cantor, what a legend. Um, and do, what, and re, you know, when someone comes across as genuinely lovely, she yeah, genuinely, she genuinely comes across as, as such an interesting, lovely person um, and doing it her way, which is brilliant. She's bold and she's wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's uh, look forward to our next guest on Show Us Your Bits podcast. But in the meantime, if you've liked this, please do like, rate, and share, share and share. Follow, and uh, we will see you next time. Woo.